dim's lost in impeachment. The dim's lost in impeachment. We're frozen here in West Texas, but it ain't holding me out. I'm back. Haven't talked to you guys in a while. But we're getting ready to get down to business. Alright. This is Shane Bettingfield, also known as the Texas Torque Ranch. No need for all the introductory stuff. And uh, I sort of been letting stuff accumulate a little bit. As you all know, the Dems lost at the impeachment again. So, he can run in 2024, but he's most likely going to form his own social platform social uh, media platform and uh, probably form his own party. When he forms that, I'm switching and I'm sure a lot of people are. But right now, I guess the only thing we can do is sit back and watch the show. So, I'm up here in Clarendon, Texas. The Clarendon Broncos are playing a playoff game tonight. The Pan Am Patriots just got done winning. I just saw on Facebook. So, those damn wind turbines are basically killing us up here. But, I mean, wait. I had to leave a little bit early to work the other day because I thought the power was going to get shut off. I wanted to make sure all my gas was working. So, and today the roads were sort of hell out there. But actually, in the dang actual landfill was the worst. People would have got stuck pretty bad. So, I came in a little early. So, uh, that's basically my perspective on this snow. It's not, Highway 287 is all right from what I saw. and uh, But the side streets are freaking terrible. <laughs> so... And we got bad streets as it is, and it's easy for them to get messed up, and you put the snow on top of it. I got a front-wheel drive, plus I drove up in the Carolinas, and whenever it gets sort of bad up there, it's it's really slick up there. So this is sort of a joke in a way. But uh, I've noticed something here lately, and that is... Some people are so diluted by the fake news. I don't even think they can think their own thoughts for themselves anymore. Uh, you know, basically, you know my take on the mask. Screw 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 the mask. But uh, that's my take on that. And uh, this whole coronavirus deal has sort of exposed a lot of stuff. I'm almost tired. This is going to be probably one of my first and last time to really talk about it in depth. I work out the landfill. I'm exposed to more crap than anybody. And... Uh, Basically, I went one day with the mask. After that, I took it off. Basically, walked around without the mask. Now, there's been a couple times I've been in some restaurants, walk-ins in Amarillo. I wore the damn mask in and ate. 
I hated wearing the mask to the restroom, especially when there was a hot-ass damn bartender there. But, uh, she was hot. That there's where all the... It used to be all the hot ones hung out around, Jill, you know, Paramount Boulevard and worked at Hooters. And a couple were downtown whenever I worked at Brewster's. But now, because there's so many places in Amarillo... Everybody's filtered out. Sonsi's exactly the best street to work on now. If you're in the food service business. Now, there is some other places. I like that that Cajun place off of Georgia. But out of all the places. That is a. Uh, that's pretty good. But walk-ons is the best. I'll, I test ran the catfish etouffee there. And I worked in Lafayette. So I have a roundabout idea on what it's supposed to taste like. Because we used to have a guy that, when we were all in, all the crews were in at once in Lafayette, Louisiana, when I was well testing, we would, uh, we'd have cookouts, and they'd make a ton of gumbo, and most of the time catfish etouffee. Jimmy Smith and Ryan White were the guys doing most of the cooking, and it was, it was great, you know, and, Plus, I was out on a lot of platforms. The shell plat last shell platform I was on really had good food. So, uh, and I was on a BP one that had a pretty good food, pretty good food too. No, not BT, Total. And uh, it was good to eat. But, uh, I don't know, I'm sitting here watching Newsmax right now, Spicer and Company, and they just keep on talking about this in Texas as well. There's one guy on TikTok that has a good video, and he goes, he goes this, and he's an electrician on the power line side, and he goes, this is what we live for, to get everybody back under power again, so it's pretty cool. So, yeah, those guys are working hard. Speaking of working hard, I'm going to bring this up one time, one time only, and Coit, this is for you, Coit, two check. Only thing I'm going to do is, I'm going to tell you this. Don't whine about it. Prove it. Go out and prove me wrong. You got, you guys got now until August to work. And one time in the summer ain't enough. I don't know if you ever looked at that film, you guys side by side with, by with Vega. And the deal with the work, yeah. the work ethic was the first thing I thought about. And they warmed up a hell of a lot more cleaner, a lot more snappier. So go out and make that your goal this year, to do everything better, better warm-ups. You can tell a lot about our team how, and how they warm up. So, and you're a leader now, so go, go make it happen. That's the only thing I want to say on this from now on. And uh, the stalkers... <laughs> I've dealt with that. They know where they're at. And I think some of them follow me over to me, uh, MeWe, which is funny. But, but anyway, I ha I'm dealing with that. It's almost a joke now. So that's all I'm going to say on that. And until they start getting really crazy. Now, there was one. I, there was one last week that I could not believe what this guy did. If you're going to prank call me, do research. If you're going to prank call me, do research. If you're going to prank call me, do research. 
Anyway, this guy called, claiming to be the superintendent at Floyd Ada. And uh, <laughs> he didn't realize that uh, it's been all over Facebook that J.R. Compton, which was an old coach from here, who basically got mad whenever he left here and decided basically two years is long enough to be here in Clarendon. Which that's the case with a lot of coaches. And uh, so whoever called me didn't realize that J.R. Compton was the athletic director. And uh, I reset my phone. I lost the number. But, I man, I, that was sort of funny whenever they did that. And then I turned around and asked him for his name again, and he dodges the question. And the truth is, <laughs> I don't know if I got the nerves enough to coach these little bastards anymore. I mean, I, I helped train some guys over in North Carolina. I basically got in everybody in the ring at Jimmy Snooker's damn wrestling school down in South Florida. And basically, I don't know if I got the patience for that anymore. The good thing about being an in-ring trainer, though, is... You can actually show them, and you can actually simulate a match. But still, still, that was a completely different animal. And uh, it was sort of funny, that whole prank call deal. I sort of sat on that for a while. Because I could not believe he actually, whoever that was, actually did it. So, I don't know. I have, I sort of think it's the Cabbage Patch Kids, uh, Justin Christopher and Peyton, most likely. If I'm betting, that's my nickname for them, the Cabbage Patch Kids. But, uh, so, <laughs> okay, but on the court, I'm just telling you right now, go out and prove me wrong. But you guys got a lot of work to do, so... Plus, you got a baseball season on that. You lose a little bit of ground in baseball season. But uh, come summertime, I'm telling you right now, once a day ain't enough, and you need to spread it along to some of those other players. They ain't working one time a day ain't enough, especially those offensive linemen, which I talk to Cardo all the time. He knows how I stand, and he better be a pancaking machine too. So I love Cardo, though. So... Because Cottle's dad works with the guy I played with, and we, we can basically just tell you some crazy stories about Coach Buff at WT. So, and with him, there was no, even, with him, it didn't matter who you were, especially on that team, because we were a bunch of renegades anyway. Everybody better, if you're, if you're not playing and you're on the scout teams, you better give everybody a good look. And uh, because they would get chewed out over you not giving them, they would chew you out over them, over you not giving them a good look. So that's the way it is. And plus, I played for a couple of badasses in Pan on there. You know, they're, I mean, hell, we made damn Texas Monthly over that crap. That's how much tradition we had there. So. Between us and Wheeler, Wheeler, it was the battle of the small schools on who was doing the best. They got up on us because they actually won state a lot. So, but there was a there was a subtle rivalry there. But we always respect each other. But I don't. 
Pat Allen and Wheeler respects each other. This is the way it is. So, anyway, that's all I'm going to talk about that on. So, they're trying to nail Ted Cruz with this deal about him going down to Cancun. Only thing I know on that is labels will whine about anything. And uh it's just it's getting old and it's all well we're not only a couple we're not even a couple months into this yet. And uh they're already starting to pull some crazy stuff, but with Como Cuomo killed people in the nursing homes in New York. Cuomo killed people in the nursing homes in New York. Don't move to New York because you will pay taxes out the ass. And Cuomo will kill you in the nursing home. Oh, Cuomo will kill you in the nursing home. But, uh, now that guy's a piece of work. Both him and his brother. His brother won't even... His brother won't even ask him hard questions. It's sort of like what Biden's, whatever that red-headed chick name is, that does his press briefings. Those are all softball questions. That's going to get old. And speaking of which, rest in, rest in peace, Rush Limbaugh. I grew up on him. A bunch of people grew up on him. Whenever I was going to school at Clarendon College, uh... I used to come home at lunch just to watch him. And whenever I was working at Matt's Garage, one of the few black business owners in this town, and he was a trip. And uh, But he was a good guy. But anyway, he uh, I used to rush home at lunch just to watch Rush. And uh, that was back during the Clinton days. And things were sort of messed up. I just got out of the Navy. So I had that experience and, you know, I basically seen a good chunk of the world and came home for a while before I started on my other adventures. And, uh, but that damn Navy experience, man, once you get that military experience under you, once sort of wakes you up on how the real world really works, you know, that's one thing I can say about that, especially back then. It was... Either produce or leave, one of the two. Or produce or get punished until you learn how to produce. So, and boot camp was a eye-opening experience. And, because uh, basically I went in two weeks after I got out of high school. And that all seems like a blur now. Boot camp seems like a blur whenever I think about it. And uh, everything just happened so fast there. Plus, fresh out of school, thousand miles away from home. And uh, it's just one of those, it was a learning experience. That's the only thing I can say. But it was worth it in the long run. And then I came home and after five years of being away things have changed a lot things changed the band on quite a bit there was a little bit of strange stuff going on back then and i couldn't really 
back then I couldn't really put a finger on it, but it was after my head coach passed away suddenly, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's just the aura in Panano felt weird because he passed away whenever I was in Dallas. And there was a bunch of bad energy whenever I was in Dallas at the time. I was in Dallas actually sort of helping my brother put together an oil field tool. And it was just a weird time. And what was so weird about that, that was the same weekend or same period that Carrie Von Eric passed away. The, the Probably the... I would say the second most famous wrestler from Texas. Terry Funk was probably number one. But uh, there was just a bunch of weird energy going on back then. Plus, I wasn't exactly doing the right thing because I was on the verge of getting in a lot of trouble in the Navy. That's how come I got out after five. But uh, it is what it is with that. So live and learn. I did five full ones, but... Uh, that's what sort of, back then everything was, was, everything happened so fast, I've, especially that year, 93, so, but uh, speaking of 93, that was the year that I most remember Dale Earnhardt for, and uh, speaking of which, I watched my favorite Podcast, my second favorite podcast yesterday. Thank God for the start of the year, so I can watch Door Buffer Clear. Thank God for the start of the year, so I can watch Door Buffer Clear. Now, the Daytona 500. There was times I got bored during that race. And actually, I was sitting in my chair messing with my tablet, a lot of it. And, uh, but at the end, you know, people can say what they want to say. Two team cars wrecked, but that's racing. I mean, that's, you'll see the same thing happen at Route 66 in Amarillo. You used to see it a lot of it at Sooner International in Altus. And, I mean, you see, like I say, and you'll damn sure see it in a late model race in Hickory, North Carolina. When it comes down to last lap and they're, they're all bunched up, they're going for broke. Especially those young guns who are getting ready to break in over in Hickory to the bigger leagues. Because I, I got to see a lot of young kids run over in Hickory. I, I saw, saw both Austin and Ty Dillon run. And uh, I saw a lot of their spotters. Ran, that were running there too. Probably the craziest story I ever seen was that Candace Muncie who passed away, and I was out at her shop for trying to cut a music deal. I was trying to drag in another artist over there to a late model team, but it just it just couldn't work because the record companies were not. They did not understand what put a little bit of money behind a late model team would do. And and she was wanting a lot because she was actually competitive back then. And uh, 
Hell, there was times, I think, if I remember right, I think she outran Bubba Wallace um, at Hickory. I ain't for sure, because Revolution Racing was so off and on at times. I know she had run-ins with Revolution Racing on the track, because Candace was sponsored by Jesse, Jesse James and West Coast Choppers, and she had that whole West Coast tie. Because somewhere or another, she got that sponsor because of... Uh, because I think she, her dad used to work on Jesse James's dirt. He had like a bunch of dirt toys that were like specially modified that he ran out in California on the desert. And someone other, her dad got the contract to work on his stuff. So uh, anyway, it's pretty. The racing business is just about as cutthroat. As a wrestling business, I learned that the hard way. Even doing the what little bit of marketing I did. Now, now the cool thing about that though was, now this is going to sound crazy, and you may not understand it, but whenever I went to Legends Car School and learned how to drive one, that in the Thunder Car, I actually had a NASCAR rep there watching, but he wasn't. It wasn't like he was from Hendrick Motorsports or someplace like that. He was from a starting part team, Trevor Boys Racing. But, uh, well, I can actually say that. At least I had a representative from NASCAR there. But, uh, that was a one-of-a-kind experience, too. Because we actually did that in, uh, February on a Wednesday, and it was cold as crap at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And, uh, the jitters got to me the night before, and I basically stayed up all night. Worried about wrecking and stuff, and uh, it's funny as hell. Whenever I went out to turn my laps, I come in and get my times. And the instructor for the school in the Legends car, he said this every time I went in. He goes, "Man, you're wrecking every lap. You're loose. You're loose. You're loose. Ease off on the throttle coming out." And uh, it just took me a while to get used to those tires. Now, when I got in the Thunder car on the, under Hoosiers, it only took it only took about one set of 20 laps and uh, I figured out the tire which that's 90% of racing just figuring out the tire what it's going to do and uh, that there's whenever I race on all these old games with my steering wheel I like I like jumping around to different years because it's completely different feels and uh, it keeps me sharp at time now, now there is nothing like real seat time and uh, Johan Swartz, a road racer who I bought my racing cart from, taught me that. That uh, there's just nothing about seat time. That's how come, even though he's a he's a winning road racer, and you can see him on Max TV or whatever it is, MATV a lot. And uh, now this is an accomplished road racer saying he goes, if I have to get in a cart once a week to keep my body in shape and keep me sharp to do it he will do it so uh it's pretty it's pretty wild whenever he does that but uh you know he taught me that and that's one thing i can say when i was in charlotte and hickory i learned i met a ton of people and then I met a ton of people on the wrestling side real fast. And uh, 
It took me a while to learn to meet some wrestling people. Actually, I called a promotion out of Gastonia trying to get in there. But that guy, I could never figure out what he was wanting. And the thing about North Carolina wrestling, there's there's one bunch around the Concord area. They're sort of hardcore fans because ECW had a huge pool of fans from the Concord, North Carolina area back in the day. And, uh, well, in Fayetteville because of the Hardy Boys. And, uh, and then you got another bunch who grew up watching Mid-Atlantic, Ricky Morton, the Rock and Roll Express, Ric Flair. Everybody knows North Carolina is basically Ric Flair's backyard. And, uh, it's pretty wild. You know, it took me a while to figure out who was who. Then I met a DJ in Lenore, North Carolina, by the name of Chad Triplett, and his basically, basically one of his childhood friends was Chad Bird, and that's how we sort of hooked up, and there was happened to be a new promotion starting. They had a great idea in the beginning, but, uh, you know, he was, I think he, his, he had too big of a dream, and uh, instead of just being consistent, was way, this is where watching WWE, if you're in the business and you're new, will actually hurt you on what you're trying to do. Every Monday night, he would watch Raw. Hell, we never, some of the veterans never watched that crap. Hell, half the time, Monday night, after workout, I was in Alibi in downtown North Carolina, uh, Lenore, North Carolina, hanging out, looking at ass. <laughs> but this guy... Because of him watching Raw every night that it came on, and he saw all those lights and stuff, and he he suddenly thought that he had to make his show like Raw, and what happened is is he spent too much. I mean, he had a great idea in the beginning, but there was just no way with the crew we had. Plus, he had a soft heart for the young kids. So no matter what, young kids were going to get booked on the beginning of the show. So it's sort of, and sometimes when you book young kids, you're going to get a young kids kind of damn show. In other words, it's going to look unorganized. They're going to try every big move they can. They're going to be, there'll be 9,000 punches, a ton of drop kicks. Well, not even drop kicks, just kicks. Because that's the new age of, that's new age working now, especially since Daniel Bryant came in, and uh, and then all thing you have is a bunch of moves that makes no sense. There's no there's no reason why they're doing it. They can't give you a reason why. That's one thing I can say about whenever I worked the leg. There was always a reason behind everything I did, especially when I worked with Chad Bird, because Chad Bird even showed me even a little bit more to do. But ever since Chris Youngblood told me. Sort of, Chris Youngblood sort of gave me a sequence on how to do stuff with the leg. And uh, and then I watched some of Ric Flair stuff. I watched some of Doy Funk Jr. stuff. I watched some of the stuff in All Japan on how they did it. So at least when it came to that part of the match, there was psychology behind it. Plus I was the heel or the bad guy. And there's certain stuff that you can do with the leg and get a ton of heat. 
So, and I'm big on reading psychology nowadays. I mean, especially, especially since I was in Tennessee, because that was what separated me from everybody else. And speaking of which, I want to give a shout out to Jerry Fargo, a guy that I came across in Trenton, who, in all actuality, if I would have known the situation, but I got brought in under special circumstances at that promotion in Trenton because uh, I got I got brought in for a bounty match with the, one of their champions and uh, but Jerry was one of the top dogs there and uh, me and him always talked in the locker room and you know I knew I got over whenever I was walking back to the dressing room that night but I knew I really got over with the boys whenever he walked up to me, whenever I'm walking back to the monitor, and he said, hey, man, that was a good show. And uh, and that, that was the greatest to me. And Jeff Beard and the Giant Warrior told me this right after I told him the situation, what I did in Tennessee. He goes, man, you're finally catching on. You're catching on to how this really works. And... Uh, but see, basically, I got booked 24 hours out. I went in, wrestled whoever they want me to wrestle, which happened to be the champ. We went for a little bit. I put him over. It was one that you just, it was probably my second favorite night in the business. I don't know, it's it's a tie for, it's a tie on that, on the, my favorite night in the business. First night I wrestled Chad Bird, just me and him in singles. It was good. We got over. We got over more than what we even thought we did. And people were comparing us to Flair and and Dusty, which I don't get that because I don't do Flair's crazy bump. And there's a lot of stuff that I I just didn't do. Knowing that there's just too many Ric Flair imitations anyway, but I, I came across more with the West Texas background by doing the my version of the spin and toe hold. So that was a good night. The night that we I did run in on Ricky Morton with the same promotion. That got that was the night that I got separated out as being probably of the hills either one or two. And uh I mean it, it set me apart. So, because I ran in, I did a run-in on the biggest baby face who ever existed in the Carolinas outside of maybe Ricky Steamboat. And uh, not only that, probably two months before that, or three months before that, after I pinned the kid that really, really got me over, uh, and then I was doing a beatdown, Chad Bird ran in and basically beat the crap out of me and cleared the ring out. And that that gave me a, a lot of heel power, but nothing like that night when I did the run-in. And it, it was so crazy is about that is there was only a little bit of time. We knew what we were doing as a faction, but we weren't together that long. We were a bunch of renegades. Half the guys were working for at one time a hardcore promotion who did stuff that made absolutely no sense whatsoever but 
because of the younger fans, they did have a fan pool, a little bit of a fan pool. And these, some of these guys from over there jumped over here because the building was so nice at the Freedom Center. And when, when we first started, it was nice. I, you know, you felt like you were wrestling in a legit establishment. And uh, that was the cool part about it. They actually had people come in during the week and squeak the floors and stuff. And I don't think I've ever seen, I've ever heard anybody doing that. Now, when I first started, I wrestled. We did shows in livestock barns. Uh, well, the NWA Southwest had a legitimate building, but I don't. I wasn't there during the week to see what went on. But I will say that promoter did come to the bus station and pick me up, though. So I mean, that was that was pretty legit when I wrestled Hernandez, and uh, it was probably one of the top five promotions in Texas at the time. In fact, one of the kids that we wrestled for. In Amarillo, the one time I wrestled there was Bryce Payne. And Bryce, even though he sort of had his own promotion, showed up down there to do a little bit. That's that's the thing I always tell new people is you cannot get stuck wrestling the same people over and over again because you'll never learn this crap. There's too much to learn in this stuff. You think football is, football is complicated, but pro wrestling is even worse because you start having all these crazy angles and stuff. People wanting to try stuff just for the sake of trying it. And uh, that's whenever it gets complicated. Because nobody, I, at times, I don't even think Vince McMahon knows, knows really what he wants when it comes down to it. Because the people, the audience change. And uh, he can have a roundabout guess, but it's hard. Now, Dana White's a different story. Dana can almost tell by when somebody wins on how much Twitter traffic he has just off his main UFC page. But that's a different animal. But it's still promoting, though. So, that was, that's basically some of my experience. But uh, one thing I, I can say about the wrestling business, and I've heard a lot of people that's got a ton of time in this business, what they, they have said about, and that is, if you got work ethic and you listen, which a lot of athletes do not do nowadays, and uh, if you listen and do what you're told, Work hard, and working hard has a different meaning in pro wrestling. You got to do all the small stuff, sell, make all your moves crisp, stay in shape, look good, work on your gimmick all the time, doing the small stuff with your gimmick to get it over. It will, In the long run, it'll pay off. But you constantly got to be looking for stuff to do different. You know, I came up with a sort of arm drag sequence that sort of separated me out a little bit. But, which I did that same match beginning of this, well, that beginning of a 
same match in Tennessee with somebody that I hardly ever knew, and we got it over. But uh, just because it's basic stuff. But that's like, uh, I think Bret Hart said it about CM Punk. CM Punk was always wanting to, even though his gimmick was sort of weird, but he could talk, but he also looked at different ways of doing stuff in the ring. And uh, if you do that, there's a good chance that you're going to get over. It's sort of like me with this whole bad guitarist thing. And, uh, you know, basically what I did was take a guitar from work that somebody was going to throw away and had the nerve enough to make some videos with it, record some stuff, and uh, get it over. I'm Shane, the bad guitarist, here entertaining the masses on the internet. I'm Shane, the bad guitarist. I'm here entertaining the masses on the internet. I live to entertain people in these hard times with the Biden administration. And the snow on the ground, it won't stop me from doing what I like to do. Entertaining people. But, uh... Hmm. Man, that girl's sort of hot. This girl on Spicer and Company on Newsmax, she sort of has a weird complexion, but she's sort of hot. It's just, the damn winter messes up everybody's damn complexion. But let's go over here. All right, let's see who's working on Bloomberg tonight. There's this hot-ass blonde chick on Bloomberg TV. I don't want to hear about this. I'm so tired of getting hustled by Bitcoin people. I get hustled all the freaking time. This one Bitcoin girl, <laughs> I actually started talking dirty to her online. I was like, I mean, it just got, she was trying to oversell. And I, there's one thing I cannot stand is people who oversell. Because one, I worked as a telemarketer twice. Once in Tennessee while, while I was wrestling there. And once in... Uh, Clearwater, Florida. Now, the job in Clearwater, Florida was sort of cool there for a while because, my God, the women that worked in that place were freaking hot. But the only problem was there were so many people selling, it was so cutthroat. And it was like you were like, it was literally like you were working in a factory. You, uh, I mean, actually, whenever I was offshore, the environment was actually easier in a way. Because you weren't so much walking on it, eggshells, but the freaking girls in that place were so hot, but everybody was so cutthroat. And uh, that was probably <laughs> one of the coolest jobs I think I've ever had, just because the women was hot. I mean, I've, I've been around places down in South Florida, but we were actually doing manual work there where didn't have time to enjoy the environment whenever I was planting palm trees, but, uh, but that job was pretty damn cool, but, uh, I never forget that, and it seemed like everybody was on pills, or doing some, doing something to stay awake, and, uh, 
pretty wild. Yeah, there's talk about Rush again. Yeah, it's going to be hard to replace him. Rush was one of a kind. And, uh, that's just sad. Now, I will say this. There's one thing Rush and Trump has pulled. And I can say this with ease. I know what goes, I know what gets said in Clarendon. I see it all the time. One of the biggest communists ever exists is a black guy in Clarendon. And he's been nothing but, and you, you even mentioned that name to certain people. They say he's sort of the root of the problems. But anyway, back to what I said. I was saying, Trump proved sometimes black people are more racial than white people. Trump proved that sometimes white people, that black people are more racial than white people. Trump brought out the biggest racist, and it ain't to white people. Trump exposed the black people as being the biggest racist. But not all of them, some of them. Some of them. There's just some people you cannot change. They, they watch fake news night after night. Believe what you read in the paper. Now, one thing that's made me mad about Amarillo since I came back to this area is either that or I'm more awake now. There's 90% of it is I'm more awake because I've been around so many different kinds of people and been exposed to more than more than normal. Well, let me say, how, should, how can I say this? But it's I've been exposed to a lot of people from a lot of different diversities. I lived with one guy from Trinidad for a while. Actually, I've, Ricky, the son, some of the stuff that he said to me when we were riding motorcycles and stuff has always stuck out to me. Because especially, Ricky's, there's nobody I don't think I've ever met. And he lived in D.C. for a while before he was in South Florida, if I remember the story right. But, uh, and a big shout out to Ricky if you get the chance to hear this. I'm going to post it on my story. And every once in a while, you, uh, you eyeball my stories. And speaking of which, hey, Megan. There's this, there's this pretty hot pharmacist in town. I haven't talked to her in a while. She has, she's, the last I heard, she was going to get married. But uh, big shout out to Megan Matthews. But uh, anyway, uh, Ricky would say stuff and he's extremely wise and probably the most one of the most wise people I've ever met and uh and me and him had problems but I damn sure learned some stuff from him but uh I mean it's weird how stuff works in life but you remember certain people like Damien B. Aussie down in South Florida I mean I mean that guy that guy for a guy that works in concrete and Danny McCullough, those guys, and Jerry Norris down there, which is an old roommate of mine too, he, uh, those guys make the best of a bad situation. At one time, Jerry was riding from Fort Lauderdale to Dania Beach and basically riding to Hardwood Beach and, uh, 
the, the road that you got to get there on is ain't exactly one of the... It's an airport road, but it's not exactly a great road, a great road to ride a bike. And uh, he would do it all the time. He did it for the hell of it. One of those crazy-ass North Carolina boys that'll do, just do something for doing, the sake of doing it. But anyway, Jerry, Jerry was always cool. And some of those, and there is one girl I'm worried about down in, wonder about it down in South, South Florida. She hung out in Hollandale and Hollywood. Uh, the big roof layer, what's his name, George, uh, no, Paul, Paul, what's that guy's last name, Paul Newer. but anyway, she owned a duplex area, and you talk about freaking smoking hot, man, I wish I could remember her name, and to me, whenever you, and she was from New York City originally, and, Oh my God! There's you just don't see women like that anymore. Now, granted, she dressed in regular clothes. She wasn't like some of these South Florida girls that every time she walked out the door, she dressed in a million dollar stuff. But she was a lot of times in this normal clothes, and uh, oh my God, she was freaking hot, smoking hot. And uh, like I say, I I know she owned a duplex in Dania Beach. Cause I used to see her some, um, but oh my god, that oh. typical and knowing that the little New York City girl who got away from New York City and came down to South Florida got super tan and don't even wear any makeup and looks freaking oh my god, and I wish I could remember her name, but uh, but there's a lot of that top down and especially in the Hollywood area because a lot of Jewish people. Live in Hollywood, live right around the Hollywood Ford area, but uh, but she was always that one there. Just oh, I don't know what got me to thinking about that. You know what got me to thinking about that is there's hardly no women like that around here. Where you, some of those New York City women that got that nose that just really that this makes them so freaking attractive. It's like not even funny. Now. I, that's one thing I can say. I've always, even though I'm a sort of a smart ass, I always get along with some of the big city girls. I get along with some of the big city girls better than I do some of the small town girls. But uh, but that's just one thing that after traveling around, this happens. But uh, get exposed to a lot of people. But anyway, it's like a... Oh, man, they're talking about Del Rio, the home of Coach Lee Hayes. Yeah, that's pretty, I got a funny story. There's a guy who coaches, actually a couple funny stories. There's a guy who was the weight room, he was in charge of the weight room, and he was offensive line coach at WT whenever I was there, West Texas a and And anyway, his brother, Hollywood Hayes, was on that movie Choke about Hicks and Gracie and all that. Now, Coach Hayes was a badass ex-Marine, and he was real disciplinarian. Ashley W.T., if I remember right, may have been his second GA job, or first GA job. And, uh, but by... After spring ball, hell, they made him a full-fledged coach. He had the line. 
so, uh, but that was a crazy story. And, uh, but speaking of which, I, I sent a message to Coach A saying, hey, tell Coach, uh, which is the assistant AD at uh, Glover Cooper now, a guy that used to coach here, crazy guy, cool as hell though. Joe Sexton, who's the assistant AD, I was like, yeah, don't let all the hype be... Don't let all the hype confusion Clarendon. It's it's tuck a damn water down playoff system to really really make this town shine a little bit. But uh, but that's a joke with a bunch of us from the '80s old. I mean, it's a bunch of people say that. I'm not, I'm not the only one that's ever said that because the playoff system's weird now. I started to congratulate Camber at the coffee shop, which is the owner's daughter. I started to congratulate her for making the playoffs. She's only five. And uh, it's just a weird system now. You just, in, on the football side, you really don't see nobody legit until regional. And uh, depending on what seat you're at. So, especially in these small schools, they take four four damn teams. It's just hard to, it's hard to decipher on who's good and who's not. And, uh, but it's like a running joke with the guys with the 80, from the 80s. So back to that participation trophy deal, which is like a joke with us anyway. And, uh, you know, Clarendon in the 80s was – everybody took Clarendon serious, especially whenever uh, Coach Allen was here and uh, some of the Weathertons was playing and some of the Hearns. And uh, but you really – Back then, everybody took this place serious. And uh, then they sort of went through a downfall. And the guy I knew from Panano was coaching over here. And really never ever been able to figure out the real truth on that. But it just, let's put it this way. I don't think he did what he did at Highland Park. Now, granted, in Highland Park, whenever we played them, uh, they had a lot of transfers from Caprock. So, but it was... Talent, speed-wise, he and Clarendon at that time, he was loaded to the gills. But that's how come I think J.R. Compton left because J.R. left because it just, it just wasn't going to happen here. You needed to crack too big of a whip to get them to do what they really wanted to do. And uh, sometimes... When that situation happens, when you got to really crack the whip, you're going to run off people. And I'm not so sure that school board at the time wanted them running off people. And uh, that's what at the most I can gather. I didn't actually see them play a lot of those games, so I don't know. But that was that was what I could gather. And there was sort of a big stink between them and Panel back then. I don't know the whole deal. The only thing I know is what Westwood's told me and his mom one time, rest in peace, West Woods, but uh, at one time he said, Tick Shady, I was over at his house when he said this, Tick Shady needs to get over it because panel ain't as good as what we they think they are. Like I say, at that time, I wasn't seeing that many games because I was partying a lot on Friday night. So, uh, so I don't know the real deal. I didn't actually see that game. I just heard what I heard at a bachelor party over it. So, but that's whenever J.R. Compton said, man, I'm out of here because it, it just ain't going to happen. But, uh, but only that, that's just, 
that's just the damn real, that's just the way how stuff gets played out in Clarendon. Anyway, a lot of times is it's a pass by place. It's sort of like almost what I did in Tennessee. I knew at the time I wasn't going to be there long because I was already talking to somebody in Indiana and because this guy in Indiana was wanting to do a lot. But this never did really have the details. But he kept on saying, I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to do a lot. Bring a bunch of people in. And uh, But basically, when I was in Tennessee, I knew I was passing through, sort of like a lot of coaches do here. It's a pass-through place. And uh, that's the deal is coaching is just like anything else. You got to make your money, get your money and run. I mean, that's just the facts of life. So... Uh, and in fact, I knew Jr. wasn't going to stick around here long, even if he ever even got that. I don't even so sure he even wanted to head job here, head job here because this, there's just too many what ifs. And uh, now, grant that, watch me, watch him prove me wrong, and him go from Floyd Data to here. But he's crazy if he goes from Floyd Data to here. But. uh it's like a, it's sort of a, it, it is what it is in these small schools. A lot of people going into these small schools, especially got these, these towns on 287, hoping to hit big once. And then you once you hit big, do exactly like Lockhart did in basketball, haul ass to Dallas. Or Austin. Hell, Austin Westlake's where all the great athletes are now in Texas. But uh, at least the good teams. And outside of Canadian and some of them. But, I mean, Austin Westlake by far. Whenever you start Googling stuff, they pop up real fast no matter what. And it seems like no matter what they have, they come, you know, they on a Google search, they come up. So, uh Uh-oh. Biden prioritizes illegals over citizens. Well, everybody saw that coming. Dang. Work, work on your tan. That's one thing that drives me nuts. If you're going to be on TV, at least prepare for the damn spot. Man, God. Now, granted, I think she's from Wisconsin. So she's got that natural pale skin no matter what. But, uh, Biden hates real Americans. He'd rather give your job to a South American. Biden hates real Americans. He would rather give your job to South Americans. Biden's trying to kill the economy. Oh, Biden's trying to kill the economy. Joe and Camelotto's gonna kill the economy. Joe and Camelotto's gonna kill the economy. Yep, it's like a pretty crazy. Anyway, I'm coming up. To the end of the podcast. Anyway, I tried making up for a lot of this. Time off. Like I say, this is a reminder. 
if you're going to prank call me, do research. If you're going to prank call me, do research. And another thing, don't steal names that I make jokes of on Facebook for other names on other platforms. Don't steal names that I make jokes of on other platforms. That's been happening too. That's almost funny. But anyway, I'm out till we meet again, till we meet again.